Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, powered by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And this week, we're joined by an Australian Ironman surf life-saving icon and a man once dubbed the country's fittest athlete by the Australian Institute of Sport. Now, Guy Leach is a two-time winner of the iconic Cool and Gatta Gold, a winner of the Gold Coast Gold, and has won multiple events around the world. Guy is also a dedicated men's health advocate and has thrown his passion into promoting the importance of staying healthy physically and mentally. Guy Leach, welcome. Thanks a lot for your time. Happy to be here. To be honest, I could have gone on and on in regards to some of these sadistic events that you've won over your career. Yeah. We'd be here for a while. But re-watching some of the highlights, you've got to embrace the pain. And at your core, you were someone who just loved the hurt, weren't you? It's a strange one, isn't it? Because I look at it now. I'm actually going to Hawaii tomorrow to go and race um, in a paddling event over there next week. And, um, and I've got to go and tap back into that reservoir of... Um, pain and suffering that I was so good at when I was younger. But I, I tell you, you, you don't want it as much when you're older compared to when you were younger. So it's like, I'm, I'm just trying to be the bloke I used to be. But yeah, no, I did. I did add a, I had a, an aversion to like, feel like I could outpain someone else in an endurance race to win. We'll circle back to your professional athlete days a bit later on. I think you might've had some success in Hawaii historically, but what do you hold dear the most? I mean, on the resume, what do you come back to or, or, or what are you most proud of? What comes to mind when you think back to those days? So the, there, there wasn't a professional Ironman sport until a, a movie called The Cooling Out of Gold was, was written. And and the, and if for those that haven't seen the, the, the movie, it, it was about these two brothers that had a dominating dad. Dad favoured the older kid. He wanted the older kid to be the Ironman champion. The younger kid was like the runt who really wanted to be the champion. And anyway, it goes on and on. But Grant Kenny played himself in the movie because he was a star at that time. He was the first Ironman superstar to appear um, in, in that circles. And they had to come up with a real life race to to put into the back end of the the, the movie itself, yeah, yeah. just to make it sort of seem like it was ridiculous. <clears throat> and they formulated this race on the Gold Coast, and they called it the Calling Out of Gold, like the movie. They put up gold bullion, and the race was like a stupid event from Surface Paradise all the way to Coolangatta, where you had to run and swim and paddle, and then you got there and you had to paddle back on a on a surf ski. So like I turned up in '84 to that, <clears throat> and because of the the juggernaut of the movie promotion the whole of the Gold Coast turned up to watch it so it was like it was like sort of four MCG grand final crowds all thrown along the Gold Coast perimeter and I'm this kid that turns up from Manly in Sydney at with no chance of winning like nothing I was a swimmer prior to this and had done a year and a half of Ironman training won it 
18 so, as well? You're only a whippersnapper, weren't you? I was the youngest in the field. So, like, I had, you know, like, I walked off the beach that day, you know, and, and when you say, what's your greatest memory? Well, that has to be because it was like a circus. There was, like, 15 helicopters in the air when I was racing. I could count them before the start. They were filming everything, and they needed to cut the real race and the footage into the fake pretend thing that the actors and Grant Kenny were doing uh, at the finish line, which was uh, whilst we were racing itself. So it was like, it was a big day. So that one's big on the memory. But I I, I do remember walking off the beach going, how did that just happen? Holy how hell. How the hell yeah. did I? And you know, and I'd probably go down. I, I haven't met another person that, other than maybe someone who's robbed a bank and become famous. But but in, in a good sense, I've never met anyone that's like walked, on, walked onto a, a, a venue unknown and from one of event that they did uh, wake up the next morning and become a household name and that was that was what it was it was like literally a joke it was i couldn't believe it it felt like a like a fairy tale dream we're going to come back to that so that's the 80s but going into the 90s i mean it seems like yesterday sunday arvos would be taken up watching the uncle toby's super series on channel 10 from across the country i'd get down to portsy my local to watch you guys they were great times for life saving weren't they do you have fond memories of those of that era <clears throat> portsy was a classic uh venue it could be tame on a given day but then it could be brutal on on a, on another day you know and we raced there i raced there probably six times in my career <clears throat> over the years and um and every time i went there it was different there were seas that were the size of buildings and there were days when like one time it was dead flat that was lapping up on the shore like a like a harbour beach it was just you know it was crazy it's sort of hard it's like looking back now 30 odd years ago you forget just how big it was you mm. know like it was such a big sport that you know like you said you'd, you'd tune in on a Sunday afternoon and we were on every second weekend in summer and it was just everyone knew what you were doing everyone knew how you went in a race you'd walk down the down to the shops and every person would be like oh mate good job on the weekend or bad luck Mate, I'll be keen to see how you go next time, whatever it was. It started from nothing, from that race, uh, uh, the cooling out of gold, and just built up to, to this thing that was like a circus. What keeps you busy these days, Guy? I mean, you mentioned Hawaii. Of course, you're doing a bit of coaching, and, and I know you're into a variety mm. of things. What what keeps you busy day to day at the moment? I build up a business selling defibrillators. I do that because a mate of mine in a fitness class I was taking seven and a half years ago now, a guy who was in the media, uh, was a wild water sports journo by the name of Charles Stewart. He was back in the 80s and 90s when, you know, the famous like Daryl Eastlake and you know, Kenny Sutcliffe and Mark Warren and all these guys that used to front that show. He was one of those boys and uh, we became really good mates and he dropped in that session and I ended up uh, resuscitating him until the Ambo turned up, trying to get him back. He didn't make it and I that's when I found out all about the defib. So that, that started that journey back then. Like today, I've already been out and dropped off a couple of defibrillators around the northern beaches here in Sydney. I'll go to the warehouse, the Sabo, and do a little bit there. So that takes up a bit of time i do like fitness i sort of i turn 60 next feb and i've never not been fit but i'm sort of in really good good shape with this race coming up now so i sort of i, I do fitness every day i do like my golf i need um like i'll never be as fast as what i was when i was 25 paddling or whatever i know that like i can i can handle that so for me as a makeup as a person i just need to know i'm getting better at something i've got this sort of thing where it's like a ladder where i need to be going up and feeling like i'm better than yesterday and um so golf does that for me so i took golf up after the ironman i finished doing professional sport yeah i probably don't play enough but i hit balls like in my house here at the front of the house i've got a golf setup like yeah. i've got a full 
a green uh, chipping area, whole netting system with computers and what have you. So I've got all that at the front of the house that looks out over the northern beaches. Awesome. It's a classic. And um, so I'll tinker with that. I, I, I had a good one last week. I had a hole in one, my um, third last week playing golf. So like that gives me a thrill. So yeah, that, that sort of keeps me ticking. And my family, like a couple of kids and all the rest of it, just like like everyone else out there. Mate, you look, I've got to say, you look so fit. We're talking over Zoom. I love your T-shirt. Tell, tell the listeners what your T-shirt says there. You can see that, can you? Real men do Pilates. Real men do Pilates, yeah. <laughs> so I set up a Pilates studio about seven years ago on the Northern Beaches. I sort of I was having back problems and I was sick of going to physio and Cairo. I did a bit of Pilates and found that it was really helped my back so I sort of came up with my own studio and and so yeah so I go down there and, and work out there and that just keeps my body in order so yeah I'm really big on you know what's it going to look like when you're 80 years of age what's your body your mind and your happiness is going to what's it going to be like and what do you do need to do now to give yourself the best chance that the 80 year old body you got is still functioning like a 50 year old's body and your mind is still sharp you know and, and still quick to be able to think and that happiness factor is obviously part of that. You know, like people talk about living to 100 and all the rest of it, but why would you want to live to 100 if you're in bed, you're in a hospital and you can't move? So I'm really big on being able to do the things that I do now in 20 and 30 years' time because I'm doing the right stuff at the moment. And you don't think about that till you get a bit older. Yeah. Like when you're a 30 or 40-year-old, that's not on your mind. But you, you let me tell you, for everyone out there listening, mate, there is a point, there's this tipping point you get to where you're like, shit, my mate just died of a heart attack or... yeah. Such and such got cancer and my mate took a fall, went to hospital and now he's in trouble. So, yeah, so yeah, for me, I, I've tried to gra- grasp hold of that earlier and just want to be that person, touch wood, that can um, still function really well at 80. No, that's, yeah. a, that's a great life lesson, great life perspective for people. Mm. And, and I was reading up, actually, the defibrillator company I need to point out is called Heart 180 and it's a national company as well. So awesome to see yeah. what you're doing in that space. Hey, we're off and running on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers. They're a family-owned business, have been since 1934. So Guy Leach, our guest today, is going to take us back to the start of his journey after this break. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals. They celebrate lives. And today's guest is surf lifesaving star Guy Leach. So, Guy, where was home as a kid? So I actually got – I was born in Melbourne, and I lived there until I was, I think, four or five. I may have gone to kindergarten there. My parents split up. We moved up to Sydney and um, with my brother, and uh, that kicked off on the northern beaches of Sydney. I, I basically got into sport through – through a doctor letting my mum know that um, I needed to get into the pool to stave off bronchitis and chest infections. But I did that at the age of eight and uh, just fell in love with that whole training and racing and, and, and competing. And, and I, I basically, by the time I was nine, I was, I was swimming around the northern beaches and I was ranked number one in the country for my age for a couple of strokes. And so I had designs on going to the Olympics. And so that was what I did. I didn't have that surf life-saving background that, you know, kids do nippers and stay in the club and all the rest of it. So I, I was not one of them. And I literally got to 17 years of age, represented Australia that year in the pool. It wasn't an Olympic or Commonwealth game year. 
just didn't fall on that um, cycle. And like when you're that young and you're still growing and everything, it, there's a bit of potluck in when the Olympics pops, pops up. Three years or four years or three year changeover. A 16 year old looks a lot different at 19, 20 years of age and strength and speed. So like I missed mm. that, but I, I got home after swimming one evening and it was when Grant Kenny first hit the scene and Kellogg's Nutrigrain signed him up from Tony Gregg. Tony Gregg, the cricketer, back in the day, his contract with Nutrigrain was up. Grant Kenny was doing stuff and making a noise out there and they signed him up. And and so the TV commercial came on. I'd never seen it before. And so Grant's, you know, back then is, is that was this like bronzed, blonde, you know, muscular unit that just, he tore it apart in this ad where he's paddling through the surf and all the rest of it. And I cut to the end scene with him with the bowl of, of Nutrigrain <laughs> and he turns to the camera and it looked like his teeth started shining as he smiled and, um, and he, he took a mouthful and said, said, tastes great, stays crunchy. Anyway, so I literally, no joke, just went, I'm doing that. I'm going, I'm going, I'm doing the Ironman thing. And, uh, and, and I literally joined Manly Surf Club within a week and, that, and the rest is history. So I got really, really, really lucky in that I sort of tipped over to that. And then the timing was spot on a year and a bit later when the calling out of gold got announced. All right. Mm. So let's, let's go to 86. I think you're 22 at this stage. So you, you're embedded, you're into it. This is what you're going to have a crack at. Now, Surf Life Saving Australia, SLSA, created, I think you would describe it probably as a semi-pro league, wouldn't you? It was the Kellogg's mm. Nutrigrain Ironman Grand Prix. So some prize money, but you, you couldn't make a living out of it at that point, though, could you? Spot on. So they came up and you, you could win five grand for a first, six grand, so like you had to get yourself to Adelaide to race. Um, and so, yeah, it was a semi job. Like I was fortunate. So I, I preceded Grant Kenny as the, as the next Ironman champion. And because of it, and the fact that it was growing as a, as an interesting sport and was a bit on, and was on television a bit pre pre the uncle toby series back in the 90s but it there were sponsorship opportunities so i had contracts with um adidas um with kellogg's nutrigrain i was on the pack by then on the on the front of the pack now hang on what was that like let's pause here so getting your face on a on a wheaties box or a nutrigrain whatever it mm. might be a cereal box that's pretty cool i reckon it's pretty funny so <laughs> you, you you tend to be so if it's nutrigrain back then which was like a big statement the third best selling cereal you could argue that you're in nearly every person's covered right. around the country aren't you you know cool so yeah and, and seeing yourself on television in in commercials like for me it was never um it didn't sort of ramp its way up slowly for me it's not like i was an ian thorpe that was a child prodigy at 12 and there were articles in the paper and he, he you know he slowly became the superstar that he that he was but it, he got to get tastes of it along the way i got none of that i literally turned up and won that race that day next day i'm on the front page of every paper in australia and the lead on every news and then people started staring at me and within a year, I'm like on the Kellogg's pack and everywhere I went, everyone. So it was a, was a really weird changeover for me. So yeah, like yeah, they were exciting times, but they were they were adjusting times too because I had enough money to be able to race full time from sponsorship and it just kept getting bigger every year from there. So were you among the competitors or the people that were agitating for more? So for it to grow, to commercialise, to become professional? Because <laughs> Surf Life Saving Australia, they weren't really interested, were they, in making it a professional and fully fledged thing? 
To be fair, it's not their charter. Like their, their charter is to save lives. We, we were we were great marketing tools for new members to join up, nippers to join the association. So we had our place. There's no doubt that the Grant Kennys, Trevor Hendys, and the Mercer brothers, and all these athletes that came through that were phenomenal at what they did, were just great carrots for new members to join surf clubs and help to patrol beaches and save yeah. lives and all the rest. So there's that part aside. Yeah. But you got to remember that probably a year earlier or two years earlier there was never a cent thrown around in surf life-saving circles and all of a sudden there's these athletes that are part of the surf life-saving movement that are making money but the boaties aren't the ski paddlers aren't the beach sprinters aren't but it's just the ironman because it's the sort of glamour event so there, there was pushback for sure and you know and then it, it, it led into literally two giant well, one giant cereal company being Kellogg's and the Challenger brand being Uncle Toby's, literally squaring off against each other and using Iron Man as the marketing vehicle to try to get more shelf space in Coles and Woolworths, which at the end of the day on the bottom line is worth tens of millions of dollars. So that's that's what it ended up becoming. It ended up becoming a war between two cereal yeah. companies and the beneficiaries were the Iron Man and Iron Woman Sport. Because there was a breakaway, wasn't there? I mean, I think there was. you might have been one of a dozen athletes who broke away from Kellogg's that went to Uncle Toby's who came on board as the, the major sponsor, yeah? Uncle Toby saw a, a marketing opportunity to basically guerrilla market Kellogg's. They, they had one or two products. Um, they, had, they had porridge, oats. Um, and a couple of others and some and some bars that they had and energy bar type things and so we wanted more as athletes and Uncle Tobias came in and literally sponsored a breakaway series that was then picked up by Channel Ten that then was shown live for the first time live television of racing in the, on the Sunday afternoon and then it forced the market up so our our prize money went up, sponsorship dollars went up. Kellogg's were fighting to hang on to athletes and not lose them. And then there was this split. And then Surf Lifesaving kicked the original 12 that went over to Uncle Toby's, the Rebel Series, they called it, um, which I was one of them. Grant Kenny was another, Trevor Hendy, uh, Guy Andrews, all these names from the past. And that was the start of the Uncle Toby's Ironman Series. I'm conscious of the fact that there's a bigga picture with SLSA and that's saving lives and all that that's more important. But Ooh. they were threatening all sorts of things at this point, weren't they? I think life bans and, and everything. So this, yeah. it was all, it was very similar to World Series cricket, wasn't it? Even Live Golf, which we're, which we're seeing now. There's no doubt that it, it was it parallel perfectly with what cricket happened with cricket. The World Series cricket, it turned a sport that was quite boring into a more exciting sport with the way they changed it. It was the same thing with Ironman. We changed the venues. We changed the venues to make them more surf orientated, changed the formats to make them more exciting, mixed it up, and the rest was history. Like, we got big ratings. I suppose the difference between those two and live golf is that, you know, it comes down to that. But there was no moral issue in what we had you know any which way you look at it with the golf is that you know is it an issue that the money's coming from the saudi government do people really have a problem with that based on what they do and then you could argue on the other side that there's plenty of saudi sponsorship out there that um is a byproduct of their country mm. but whether it's from the government funds over there is a different thing so yeah I, I, that's a bit different because i do follow the golf quite um strongly and and i know cam smith reasonably well and i'm good mates with his coach so yeah that that one's a, is another whole 45 minute chat that you and i can have on on golf yeah you certainly their pay packets are probably different uh as well as fair to say well <laughs> it's 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 generational wealth isn't it and you, Crazy. you know you, you argue like i always said with cam is he he doesn't really need the money because he's going to make a lot 
over the next 10 years or so. He'll probably get out earlier than people think. I don't think he'll go past 40. He'll be out before then, I think, my gut feeling. And he's got he's got enough money and he's not hungry for money. He likes winning, even though he's chilled on the exterior. Deep down, he's a killer, which is a perfect mix for golf. But when you have $150 million thrown in front of your nose, mate, that just changes everything, doesn't it? It's just, it, it would be so, you'd, you'd literally have sleepless nights and not knowing what to do. We're with Aussie legend of the surf, Guy Leach, on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. And there's much more to come with Guy right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Surf life-saving champion Guy Leach is with us. So, Guy, let's talk 1990s. You're at the peak of your powers, but Trevor Hendy is your nemesis, isn't he? Yeah, well, he turned up. He, was, he ended up being the, like a, a superstar of the sport. Um, as far as what I saw during my career and beyond, he was the most talented I ever saw. So every sport's got that one person, and uh, he, he was it in our sport. He was just big, strong, massive, aerobic capacity, good skills, but um, calm under pressure. So he could he could handle the pressure, and he wouldn't make many mistakes. I, I turned up to a race on the Central Coast, uh, big race, that was the first time I saw him. He was 17 years of age, turned up, raced unbelievably well. And I remember driving home with the boys in the car going, what do you reckon about this Trevor Hendy guy? And everyone in the car said, oh, we're in trouble. So that was the start. Yeah. And he yeah. got better and better. And so I, I would say that through my career, he was the one that gave me the most trouble. And and, and the problem was, right, he just he had this calmness about him, which was nearly off-putting because he just he didn't look like he'd panic at all and yeah, nothing seemed to phase him. Do you reckon that was poker face or legitimately how he was? He reckons he, he said later up after it was all done that yeah, deep down he was um still nervy and everything. I think the reality is in sport or in, in any situation, if you care about a result, you're gonna get nervous. But you've got to realise that when someone says, "Oh, I wasn't nervous," well, then you don't. You're not caring enough because you, you should be nervous because that's your body ready to fight. Yeah. You know? But the greats in sport, the ones that could do amazing things under pressure, were the ones that accepted that that's what it was meant to be. Like you, you brought on the nerves, you accepted them, and you knew that was part of what you did. And and I used to look at it and try to set it up in my own head as being it's a privilege to be put in this situation because if you're not nervous and and at the front racing, well, then you're out the back, aren't you? So I, I used to look at it that way, and it worked for me. But he was he was very calm. He was very good. Yeah, the sport was just taking off by this point. The level was so high as well. I mean, we talked about Grant Kenny earlier, who I think was four-time Australian Ironman champion. There was a season there in 91 where he could only finish 17th. Like, the level was so high. There was yourself, obviously, and we mentioned the others, but Trevor Hendy and the like. But the field battered deep for a time. Well, they were all full-time. So it's it's a bit like when AFL first started, you know, and, and the money wasn't in it. You know, the boys were out getting – had jobs as, a, as, as their income, you know, years ago. And they turn up and train, you know, two or three days a week or four days a week, whatever it was, and play. Well, at the peak of Ironman, every guy trained two to three times a day, did physio, 
rested in between sessions, had sleeps during the day, ate correctly, and anyone that turned up with their foot on the line was a full-time athlete. So you knew very, you knew straight away where you stood at any given time. You know, the difference between that and AFL is that you might not play another side that is around your level at the top of the, the ladder for maybe three months you know, or two months. But in our sport, everyone turned up that was full-time every second weekend with a given format, and you were you were on. There was there was a season around then, I'm not sure which one it was, Guy. There, there was a prime-time, I suppose you call it a twilight race. It was 6 o'clock in Manly. I mean, what, what was what was, oh, yeah. what was that like? That, mate, the whole Amanda came out. Like, I've got a photo of that. Someone took a photo. I was leading one of the legs, and I was running down the chute. But you couldn't see the sand. Because people on both sides of where you ran down the sponsor's shoot to do the run league were just full and they're up on the promenade. It was um, it was a good concept because it didn't get dark till 8.30 at night. And it was like an hour and a half race starting at 6 o'clock. And, yeah, everyone rocked in after work on a Friday evening. And so it was just – it was Bedlam. And I was a manly boy as well. Yeah. So, you know. That was the race, so it, it was really funny. I went, I ran, if this is the race I remember, because we did a couple there, but one of them, I ran into the finish with Trevor Hindy, and we ran into the shoot with 50, 100 to go. I tried to, the run league was about a mile. We dropped Guy Andrews, I remember it, um, coming back on the run, and Trevor, I couldn't get rid of him, and one of my strengths was the distance running, and I was doing surges on him. I'd surge for like 50 metres, and then pull back, and I was trying to break him and, and, and bust that rubber band that he was hanging on to behind me you know and I couldn't do it and I got into the chute that was like 50 deep on both sides with people and I I, there was like 100 meters to the finish and one of the boys in the crowd who knew me he screamed out he's got nothing on you Leachy your heart's twice the size of his I'll never forget through all the noise I heard that and I looked over my shoulder to the right just making sure where Trevor was and he went left. Oh, that was it. It was done. He got you in a sprint. <laughs> yeah, he got me in a sprint. And, uh, and he lunged at the line in front of me and I got second. But I'll just never forget um, this guy screamed out. You got your heart's twice as big as his leechy. You know, I was thinking, mate, I'm killing me. I love it. But you mentioned the endurance and the longer distance was your friend. So that's why I guess Cool and Gatta Gold and, and later obviously Gold Coast Gold, they were considered the hardest races in Ironman. And the longer distance, you know, you, you excelled in. So we mentioned just how difficult they were. So I went back and had a look. It was a, it started with a 22.7, 22, let's not forget the 0.7, 22.7 yeah. kilometre ski leg, a run to yeah. the northern end of Coolangatta Beach, a board paddle to Chugan, a 2.2 kilometre run across to Corumban Creek, a 2.3 kilometre swim along Palm Beach, another 2.2 kilometre run, a swim around Burley Heads, and then finally, just finally, a 10 kilometre run from Burley to surface. Hectic, isn't it? That's ridiculous. Amazing. So the, the one that's the most amazing in all that was 84. So a picture, picture doing a, an event that goes for 15 minutes normally and then someone says hey listen i've got this great idea well we'll, if you go good you'll win money in it but it goes for four and a half hours you've got six months to train for it good luck so that's what the cooling out of gold was in 84 on the wall at all the surf clubs in australia and around the world poster went up with what you just said being the race twenty thousand dollars in gold for first and then money down down the line and back in 84 that was you know was decent for something that 
never had anything in it before, but just the sheer magnitude of what you had to do when you didn't know how to train. No one had ever done it before. You couldn't ring up. I couldn't ring up you and say, hey, when you did that thing two years ago, what was your training? How to feel? What Anything I need to know? Couldn't talk to anyone. And back in 84, there no, was no science behind sport. There was no like Gatorade and electrolytes and, you know, like you had nothing, right? And so the other thing was the cool and get a gold now gets raced in September because Queensland's too hot to race it in summer months when you're doing a race like that. When did we race it? In January. I mean, we raced it in the middle of summer. Jeez. It was 37 degrees that day. So when I went into that race, I'm thinking, mate, just get through it. You know, like I was just like, don't embarrass yourself. That was the thought, you know, and I hit the lead at the one and a half hour mark. And I hit the lead because the second run leg, everyone had shoes ready. There was a hundred seats with your num- numbered seats and everyone had buckets in front to get the sand off their feet shoes on and then run along the beach because it was low tide. I had my shoes there as well. I came out of the swim equal first. I swam myself from my 30th position into first and I opted not to put the shoes on. I saw the two guys that went into the seats to put theirs on with the crowd there and I never saw anyone again for three hours. So that's my memory. So it's funny, you can look back. It's nearly, it's 40 years next year since I raced that race and I can still remember snippets of things I did that were the catalyst of why I won. Yeah, you know? Geez. Yeah, amazing. And amazing what the mind remembers. There's probably plenty I've forgotten, but there's little snippets of things that I remember. Yeah, enduring memories are funny, aren't they? There, there was the marathon mm. events as well, not as hard as the golds, but but well suited to you. And I think either you came up with it or, or Trevor or both of you, but the survivor concept, you know, start the day with 20, the last four uh, to be eliminated each time until the fifth race, a final four to decide the winner. And I suppose as the fatigue builds, the cutthroat nature of it, that that was exciting. That was an exciting format as well. Yeah, you, had to, you had to pace yourself. It was like um, if you could get through the earlier races, you got about 10 or 15 minutes rest between the race, which people go, oh, that's a bit. But the problem is lactic acid builds up if you go too hard. So it's, it's this sort of you had to marry up getting through. So the first race to 20, 16 went through. You didn't need to be a hero and come first. I, I, I wanted to do it in about 12 and 13. But if you had a bad start or something went wrong in this 15, 20-minute race, then all of a sudden you're putting the uh, the afterburners on. So you just you wanted to get to that last race with your petrol still in the tank so you could you could bust yourself out in that last event. But, um, yeah, that, that we, we, we mixed up the formats to make it exciting for television and just to make it interesting on the beach itself. And that was, a, that was one that stuck around. It was a goodie. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're going to be right back with Guy Leach after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. And our guest today is former Ironman star, men's health advocate, of course, Guy Leach. So, Guy, post-Ironman as well, you gave triathlon a crack, didn't you? I mean, how... Steep was the learning curve and how steep was the adjustment curve given the differences, I suppose, in, in what either discipline ask of the body? Yeah, I, I did. I, I was 35 and I, I felt like I, I always liked the idea of the Hawaiian Ironman, that 
tough, hot, out all day racing type type event. And 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 by that stage, I'd done 22 surf Ironman races over the two hour mark and hadn't been beaten in any of them. So I sort of, you know, my endurance was great, and I, my preparation for events was probably even better because it um, it showed out in that result. But I sort of thought, you know, wouldn't it be good to go and have a crack at something different? So I started I started training. I did a few triathlon races with that television series that used to be on years ago that was um, on similar to the Ironman, Surf Ironman. I got through about a year of training, but I kept breaking down. It, it was like my body just felt like it needed six months off mm. and then re- recharge and go again. And I never gave myself that chance. So I, I did race. I did I did a few races. The change, the hard part was obviously the bike riding. I could swim and run well. I, I'd lean down a bit more. You, 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 you tend to see triathletes are like muscular jockeys really, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're, they're lean the and... Yeah small they got to they got to be able to run well and and so my swimming was beyond par like it was at the top of the tree my running was good solid but it was the bike and the bike took work like we did things like got on our push bike put a credit card in the back pocket and rode to to noosa over a week 1200 kilometers so we i was doing things to up the mileage on the bike and get strong it's like anyone in any sport anyone that's been at the top of the tree in one sport and you can you can cite michael jordan going from basketball to baseball and a bunch of other athletes over the years. Mate, not many, not many succeed in another sport because it takes a lot of time mm. to get good at it. Yeah, I think Bo Jackson, from memory, years and years ago, he went from gridiron to baseball. Back probably when it wasn't as competitive as it is now, he's probably the only athlete I can really think of that could be successful in, across two sports. Not easy to do. So as we've touched on, though, right throughout this journey, whether you won or you didn't win, you'd built up a big profile in your time competing. Cereal boxes, TV ads, the, the whole bit. What have your brushes with fame, if you don't mind me asking, Guy? Now, did you... Did you actually train Madonna when she was out here back in the day on tour? Yeah, yeah. So she, um, I, I wouldn't want to be around her now based on what I've seen recently of her. She's um, turned into a bit of a circus show. But years ago, so this is 95 or 6, whenever she toured out here around the country, I get this call from a bike in America who used to do Ironman racing. He was in American Ironman. He said, Leachie, I've put your name in to train Madonna. And I'm like, what? Anyway, so the story goes that her trainer in LA was getting married, her normal uh, fitness trainer. He wasn't coming out for the tour. He was getting married, going to honeymoon. And so this guy knew my mate over there and I got tagged in. So I thought it was a joke at start. And when they said, mate, you'll get paid this much for the week, I thought, mate, that's good. And it's not a joke. So I was on. And what I can tell you about Madonna is that she, she would literally have had 40 or 50 people on the payroll that were around her. Very much those people were telling her what she probably wanted to hear more than probably reality at times, I saw. But but she was unique in that. So the morning I had to train her was over at Double Bay. And the hotel there, she'd got she'd taken out the two penthouses. One she was staying, living in. And the, the one next door was turned into a gym. And at the time, she liked running and, and doing, doing, doing the gym stuff. So I was asked on the morning to turn up at 5 a.m. at uh, the Ritz Carlton at Double Bay, and she wanted to run. So she was going to have a couple of security guys there, car behind us, and she wanted to run around around the streets and have a look and what have you. So I thought, fine, that's fine. So I wasn't doing a lot. I was just there as a running buddy, probably. You know? I went to sleep the night before, and I kept having these – I had this dream that I slept through the alarm 
and mistraining and all hell broke loose. So that was the dream I had. So by the time two o'clock in the morning came, I was too scared to go back to sleep for a five o'clock start. So I got in the car at about 3 a.m. and drove from Manly over to Double Bay. And I sat out the front of the hotel. And this was like at, you know, quarter to four in the morning, sat there, sat there, sat there. At 20 to five, I thought, I'll just go into the hotel and have a stretch and just sit in there and wait for Madonna to turn up at 5 a.m. And she was already in the foyer with the security guys in the dark, like out dark outside, stretching getting ready. So that was sort of the, like what she was like. She was just a, she just worked hard at being number one at what she did. So yeah. she was just, yeah, she was, um, I got on really well with her, hard worker, but just a professional in as far as she ate right, she worked out, did all those things correctly. So who called the shots mm. there, by the way, when it came to the regime? Was it her or you? Yeah, no, her. <laughs> yeah. I was like a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I was too scared. Too scared. What about, respect the yeah. honesty. Hey, what, what about what? What about the late Princess Diana? Now, uh, look, look. I, I didn't think I'd be asking you this. So, am I right to say she presented you with something once? I don't know if it was an award or something like. Can you? Can you? Somehow you crossed yeah. paths. Can you let us in on this? But she wasn't long after the Madonna scene, so it was it was ironic that um that I crossed paths. You would say at the time were the two most famous women in the world, wouldn't Court, you? Yeah, absolutely. Here, It'd be hard absolutely. to argue in the nineties. Who would be more famous worldwide than Madonna and Princess Diana? Maybe the Queen. Everyone knows the Queen. But, you know, like, you're splitting hairs, aren't you, mm. really? So um, she came out for this royal tour. And one of the things she was doing was to go to a surf carnival on the Central Coast, this obscure Terrigal Beach you may or may not have heard of. I have, yep. Um, it was a surf carnival. And she was going to present the winner of the Ironman, the trophy, the medal, and what happened. So all the boys are like, we're going to go and race in this event we'd never do because Princess Di's turning up, right? Up we go. And unbeknownst to us, there's probably a hundred media people that just travel around just capturing what Di was doing on the yeah, trip. It was like, sure. it was a job, maybe more, 200. Cameramen, you know, photographers, you know, you name it, or journos, all the rest. I get up and win the Ironman. Mate, the beach is packed. It's like this. It felt like a mini cooling out of gold because print, all because of Princess Di, nothing to do with me at all. So we're at the dais that was set up. And the front of the dais, it was roped off where these 200 media people were allowed to get in and take the pictures. And then the crowd were allowed to be all around beyond that. And it went like, was up the beach and they went all the way back to the shore. Mm. People trying to get shots of, of Princess Di and everything. Anyway, they present third place. Second place, a mate of mine, Craig Riddington, got second. He was for Manly Cirque Club as well. Then I get up, you know, wave to the crowd. Everyone cheers. Di gives third place, second place. And then she goes to present me with the with the trophy and the uh, the prize money. So I'm in swimmers, right? I'm in my, in your my speedos. My, yeah, my 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 sluggos, speedos, cosy, whatever you want to call them. And she peers down, right? So she's looking me in the face and then looks down. And I don't know what got over me, but I literally say to her, "Eyes up, die!" Like you're looking at my nuts. To the princess. <laughs> Oh my! And, and so seriously, one of the media people in the front, who was like a pommy or something, just went, "Oh my god!" Like this, and then Rido next to me just went, "Oh shit!" Like this, and I literally thought, "No, no, I didn't say that, but I did. I said it." And she went bright red, and she literally gave me the the, the trophy and the check like this, and wouldn't look me in the face. It was a disaster, absolute disaster. So everyone left the beach that day, and if you couldn't even hear what I said in the front row of 30 people. By the time you, I left the beach, the whole beach knew because everyone was telling the story how guys, Guy Leake said, eyes up, die. 
because she was looking at she was looking at his crutch. Anyway. <laughs> up the high. And she probably wasn't either. She probably was, oh, I just yeah, hopeless. Oh, anyway, that was bad. It's a story to tell. Hey, before we go, I'd be remiss of me not to ask you about the Survivor experience. Celebrity Survivor, as it was, of course, on Channel 7. Was it Vanuatu in 2006? Yeah. What is like, it? I get, Outwit? I'm actually going back there in uh, school holidays, winter school holidays. We're going there for a trip, just a, a holiday, you know, get At- out of the cold. So, yeah, I, I went. Oh, that was um, that was back. So my my youngest is six, so was 16 years ago because she was born like two months after I won the thing. Yeah. Outwit, outplay, outlast. Yeah, outwit, outlast. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, it was funny, you know, I sort of was always good with getting ready for races in, in the preparation. And I did the same thing with Survivor. So I, I, I was always a big fan of Survivor and the whole family has been. We've watched lots of the American episodes and all the rest of it. I've been asked to do all the other celebrity events in Australia over the years. Knocked them all back. The dancing, the singing, the diving, the cooking, the big brother. I've been asked and no, no, House no. And the reason yep. being is I'm not into it. If I'm not into it, I'm not going to give myself enough chance to win because I like being competitive, right? So, but with Survivor, I'm like, this is awesome. I get to go and compete again and do the thing that I love watching on television. So I took it really serious. I found this guy in Brisbane who had lived in the jungle with the natives over there for two years. So I flew him and paid him down to Manly and picked his brain for two days on how do I live in the jungle? What do I do? Where do I find the food? All that sort of stuff. Just so I had an unfair advantage over the rest of the field. I literally, <laughs> the second day, it was like when you do Survivor, there's 200 people in the back scenes, cameramen, and they won't talk to you. The only time you get to talk to anyone is at tribal council or when you do those interviews to the camera where they, the producer asks you a few questions and what have you, which they cut into the show. So no one talks to you. But they have these these, these natives there that will go. And we had a portaloo. We got given a portaloo, water and sunscreen. That was the only three things that you got. And you had to find your food or win it or you start, right? So it was legit, even for like the, the celebrity version. But I had this um, Vanuatu villager. I got up the second morning and, and walked in the back of the jungle to go to the toilet and uh, into the portaloo. And he was cleaning the portaloos. <laughs> He could speak a bit of English, and the camera guys never went to the portaloo, so it was the place you could go where you could get away with not being on camera. And there were certain rules, right, that you signed. You signed like a contract that thick to do Survivor, but nothing in that contract said that I couldn't go and bribe one of the villagers, one of the local, to get me food, right? Oh. So I told him I was going to give him 50 bucks if every day he could just find a plastic bag and put some biscuits in it. And I showed him a spot behind the portaloo in the bushes and he just left it there. So what I would do, and he said, yeah, I'd do, do that for him. So every morning I'd get up at like 6.30 before everyone else. I'd trot off to the toilet, go around the back, pick out the plastic bag with the biscuits in it, sit on the toilet and eat my biscuits for breakfast before I went back to the crew. Just feeling fantastic. So there was little things like that that I did that helped the cause. But, um, but it was hard. It was hard. It was like um, four to five week weight loss program. Yeah. Seriously, you just didn't but eat. You, you, won, just you, won it, you won it though, didn't you? Yeah, I won it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. outwitting. Oh, that's a, vo- a version of outwitting for mine. If it's not in yeah, the contract. Yeah, totally. Well, it was not in the contract. To, to, and I, what I did was, when I, I got down to the pointy end where there was about four of us left, I used the biscuits then with one of the guys to help the vote for me. <laughs> you brought I, someone in. 
I just, I, 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 I bought him. I bought him based on the biscuits because he was starving to death. <laughs> so I gave him my biscuits and I got the vote, which helped me. Yeah. So you know, you just, you do what you do. It's like going to war, I think. You know, without actually getting hurt. Oh, I hear you and I see you. I could tell forever a competitor. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Hey, go on. Well, you're there. You might as well try to win. It was, um, yeah. It was good fun. It was good fun. It, um, it's one of those experiences if you like Survivor. But um, and for those listening. You know, the two days, it's over one episode that you watch on television with ads. That's two days of being on that island, you know. So it's yeah. it's a lot harder than you think because you just don't get that time and that, that feeling of just being hungry all the time. And, and if you're one of these people that thinks too much and overthinks things, it survives not for you because it'll just do your head in. Because you're literally just wondering all the time what someone's going to do with strategies and all the rest. Yeah, but yeah, it was good fun. Guy Leach, thanks so much for joining us today. I reckon the sport you excelled in was quintessential Aussie, I reckon. And I'm sure a lot of listeners like me would have fond memories of those Ironman series and days and, and the coming of age of that scene at the time. So well done on all of that, everything you did then, everything you're doing now. And, and thanks again for joining us. Good chatting. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online. Find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.